Please remain standing as you're able. We turn to the words that Audrey mentioned to the children. This is from Paul to the church at Corinth. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Ernie Miller, a professor of history at a college in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area, talks about his church on Super Bowl Sunday a couple of years ago when the Steelers were involved. He said, but right before the service, an elderly woman of the congregation walked into the staid 200-plus-year-old Presbyterian church wearing a big plastic Steelers vest and earrings, Steeler earrings that came down to her shoulders. As the pastor got up to speak, he looked, and there on the front row was an entire family with children with face paint on for the game. Miller began to talk about how in many ways the the NFL uh, carries great power in his community. And he said, when you think about it, the NFL has holy places, icons, laws and rules, and even its own gods. That the NFL really is for millions of people like a religion. And I was reading and I thought to myself, you are so right. Wicked, wicked football. Bad football, leading people away from Jesus. Basketball would never do that. But of course I read on. And he began to talk more about growing up in western Pennsylvania. And he said, you know, we love our Steelers. We love our Steelers because they play for the love of the game. They play with power and clarity and joy. And they play through age, pain, and sore knees. We love our Steelers because even though the world of western Pennsylvania and the economy is changing rapidly, our Steelers are always the same. They remained endlessly our Steelers, he said. Following the Steelers, Miller concluded, is like coming home. You know, I thought about that then. I took a second look. And I realized that if you pulled out NFL and you stuck in NBA, and if you pulled out the black and gold of the Steelers and put in the silver and black of the Spurs, you would have a very, very similar situation. We love our Spurs. They're like we are. They play the game the way it ought to be played. They love the game. They play through age and pain and sore knees. I realize that there are a lot of things that come in the sports world that are valuable to people. There's a sense of belonging and a sense of identity that comes from following a sports team. I mean, we get identity from the Spurs. We know who we are and we know who we're not. We're San Antonio. We're we're not Dallas. We're not Dallas. We don't act like that. Our our owner isn't on Dancing with the Stars. We're certainly not the Lakers. I mean, our owner's daughter's not dating the coach. That's not who we are. We're San Antonio. We have a sense of identity about who we are and who we're not. And we have a sense of belonging. That every year we're a part of something that's bigger than just our individual 
lives. And every May and June we celebrate that. And don't try to tell me none of you have ever worn Spurs paraphernalia on Sunday morning during the playoffs. God has wired us up in such a way that we need to know who we are and who we are not. God has wired us up that we need to know that we belong to something bigger than we are. And God knows this and gives us a need for something you've already learned about in the last five weeks. God gives us a need for community. It's community that tells us who we are. It is community that helps us realize that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And God knew that we needed it so desperately that God gave us a special community called the body of Christ, the church. But as I thought about the message and thought about the Steelers and the Spurs, I realized there are a whole lot of communities that can give you a sense of identity. A whole lot of different communities can give you a sense of belonging. I, I thought about some of them. Well, a lot of you probably celebrated this yesterday. In some ways, uh, the place where we went to college or university, spent four or, or more years of our lives, those give us a sense of identity and of being something, a part of something bigger. And don't think universities haven't realized this. I was reading not too long ago that many universities across the nation are now having retirement centers built next to their campus. So where you spent those best years of your life, you can spend the last years of your life. But we'll do you one better than that at Duke. I read that for $25,000, you can have your ashes scattered in Sarah Duke Gardens on the campus. You can just finish it all. Universities get that. They know that they engender this sort of community among people. And it's a very, for the most part, healthy thing. But they play, they play it. I was with a, a consultant. He was a financial consultant to churches, fundraising consultant to churches some time ago. He's from Georgia. But he has a lot of business in Texas. And one day he was in a room with uh, pastors of like 12 of the largest Methodist churches in the state of Texas. And he said this. He said, I want you to know, because I've been around a while, that the 12th Man Foundation is doing a lot better job than you are of recruiting your members. I think that's probably true. I heard a statistic recently that Americans give about as much money to charity uh, adjusted for inflation as they did 50 years ago. We are just as generous as we were in the 1950s. No more so, no, no less so. But here's an interesting change. 50 years ago, 52% of all charitable dollars went to a church. And now it's down to just under a third. There's a lot of competing community out there. Not just the university. I think it happens in the political parties. Political parties have a wonderful way of binding us together, telling us who we are and who we're not, the other party, and rallying us to something that appears to be bigger than we are. In fact, I challenge you this summer, when the Republican and Democratic conventions are on TV, just turn the sound down. Watch for a while, and, and what will it remind you of? Take away the balloons at the end and the signs for each of the varying states, and I guarantee you, you have got a modern-day revival going on right in your TV. They engender such passion. Causes can do the same thing. But causes can rally people. We can all go for this, or we can go against this. Maybe we're going to beat cancer, or beat another illness, or we're going to rally for a cause, or rally against another cause. And causes have an amazing ability 
to galvanize people into community and make us feel that this is who we are and that this cause is bigger than we are. And there are many worthy causes out there. Sometimes individuals. I've noticed that there are certain individuals, whether it's in the sports world or the political world or religious world, uh, the music world, there are certain individuals who can actually galvanize people around them. And so people begin to identify themselves with the exploits of this individual. And they get a feeling of this is who they are. They want to be like Mike. And they are belonging to someone who's bigger than they are. Some years ago, when I took a trip to another country, I was amazed at this country 3,000 miles away from the United States. All the kids had Michael Jordan jerseys. When we were in Africa, uh, more than one had Shaquille O'Neal. There's an ability of individuals sometimes to galvanize folks and bring them into their exploits. And so that they feel like they're a part of something bigger than they are. I wonder if this is going on in the church at Corinth. There are some mighty big individuals there. There's a guy named Apollos, and if you read between the lines in Scripture, what you find out is that Apollos must have been a spellbinding speaker. And then there's another guy named Peter or Cephas. And what you know about Peter is he actually walked with Jesus. He walked with Jesus in his earthly ministry. That must have been impressive. And then there was Paul, an apostle himself, who'd seen Jesus back from the dead. Appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Damascus. And people in the church began to galvanize not around the body of Christ, but around these individuals. It happens still in churches today. There are churches where people actually get a part of a program in a church, and, and they're much more organized and galvanized around that program than they are the body of Christ. Sunday school classes function that way in many churches. People's primary allegiance is to the, that subgroup, not to the community as a whole. It can happen. And it happens for a very good reason. God made us to need community. God knows that we need to constantly be reminded of who we are and who we're not. And God knows that we need to feel like our lives count for something that's bigger than we are. Now, most of you know me well enough to know I'm not against sports. And I'm not against causes. And I'm not against influential individuals. But I do want to say this. Anytime you find that your primary allegiance and primary community is outside of the body of Christ, beware. For two very basic reasons. If your primary allegiance to, is to a community outside the body, of, the, other than the body of Christ, know this. First thing is whatever that cause or that community is, it will not last forever. Simply can't. The only thing that lasts forever our relationships with God and with other people through God and Christ. Anything else is going to come and it's going to go. When uh, we went away to school, uh, we really wanted to take a part of Texas with us. So one of the things that we did is Sunday afternoons after church, we'd turn on the Oilers. Kind of back then made us, made us feel like home. And I remember watching people. And I remember one Monday night game, you probably remember in particular, Earl Campbell runs up and down the field, and, and the Oilers triumph, and they all have their blue pom-poms, and they're singing, and they're chanting in the Astrodome. Have you been to the Astrodome recently? If, it, if you have, it's because you went to a monster truck pull. No Oilers there. 
They're gone. Things don't last forever. When I was a few weeks ago on the Mediterranean, a place called Caesarea, Herod built a stadium. Now, several years ago when I was there, archaeologists were estimating that the stadium uh, uh, had a capacity of 200,000 people for chariot races and uh, for gladiator battles. Now, having gone there a few weeks ago, archaeologists have revised their estimate. Now they think 360,000 fans. 360,000 fans could file into the, what they call the Hippodrome for these races. And they got so involved that actually they would flood the floor with water and they had boats fighting each other in front of the fans. But you know, archaeologists can't find most of the stadium. There was an earthquake and a good part of the stadium is somewhere in the Mediterranean Sea. It's just not going to last forever. The political party you follow may seem like they have some answers now. Political parties have always thought they had the answer. And they thought, the an- they thought their answers would hold for a long time. I believe the Whigs probably felt that way more than a century ago. But you can't find them now. Align yourself around a candidate and let's say your candidate wins. Most positions have term limits and your candidate will not be there forever. And for those not fortunate enough to be rotated out of office, at some point their clay feet will be revealed while they're in office. And dear, what are you left with? Causes come and go. Individuals come and go. Teams and institutions come and go and they do not last. Only, only the body of Christ goes for eternity. I was talking with our worship and music director, Ruth Ann, about this message. She said, yeah, that's right. She said, in the church, there is no off-season, except maybe the Sunday after Easter. But they're always going. We're always about something bigger than we are that will last forever. But there's one other thing you need to know. Any community to which you give primary allegiance that is not the bride of Christ and the body of Christ, will be limited in its ability to reward and bless you. Oh, there are some exciting moments that come when your team wins the game. Believe me, I've I've experienced that. There's some real vindication that you experience when it looks like your party has carried the day, when your cause looks like it has moved forward tremendously. There are some great moments. But Paul said this one time. He said, you know, I has not seen, nor has ear heard, the great things that God has reserved for those who love God. Let me try it another way. Take your birthday. Take your graduation day. Take your wedding day. Take the day your first child was born. And you wrap all of what you felt into that moment. And you get, I reckon, about a trillionth of what you're going to feel when you walk through the gates of heaven. The earth simply cannot reward in the way that God does. We live our lives in daily need of forgiveness. But the political party can't forgive me. It can tell me, well, it's about time you got on the correct side of this issue, whether it's left or right. But the political party can't help me at all with the fact that I had a terrible argument with my children before I left the house to vote. Bonhoeffer put it this way, only in the body of Christ is experienced, is forgiveness experienced and practiced. And your team can get revenge for the game that they lost last year. 
But believe me, that's miles away from redemption. That's a different matter entirely. The communities that we are part of on this earth, by and large, are wonderful things that give us wonderful things, but they lack these two essentials because, I'll put it frankly, Jesus Christ is not the object of their attention and worship. Jesus Christ is not the primary resident in their community. And so there will be limitations. I read this uh, story in a book last week about two men that were visiting an art museum. And uh, one of them was an international chess champion and and his friend. And and one of the paintings had to be about uh, chess. It was two guys playing chess. And uh, one side of the board, the guy that was down to his last piece, the king, was obviously a human being. But on the other side of the board, apparently controlling the board, was someone who looked very much like Satan. And the caption to the painting was this. It was called Checkmate. Checkmate. Looked like the human was out of moves. The king was trapped. There's something that that got the chess champion's attention and he studied the picture a little bit more and his friend got tired of waiting. He told him, well, go on, I'll catch up with you. His friend went on throughout the museum, then came back and the chess champion was still studying the picture And then he spoke. He said, we need to find out who painted this picture. And we need to get a hold of that person because that person needs to do one of two things. They need to repaint this picture or retitle it. Why, his friend asked. And this chess champion said, I'm a champion. I know chess. And I want to tell you, the king still has one more move. And the guy telling the story said, that's our king. No matter what things come and go and what things happen to pass, no matter how dark the day may look, our king always, always has one more move. And that move, we're told, is always for the benefit of his community. At this time, I would like to invite those who are being inducted into the Order of St. Luke, the physician, as associate and full members, to come uh, to the altar rail and also invite uh, any of our OSL members who are here to join with them. The Order of St. Luke, the physician, is a ministry that is dedicated to reviving the healing ministry of Jesus Christ in the church. And uh, we have persons who have... uh, prepared and dedicated themselves to this kind of ministry, and many of you have benefited from that. In fact, I think all of you participate in it because I know you were praying for me a while ago when I got that tickle in my throat, so I'm very grateful for those prayers. But uh, OSL, as we call it, is a wonderful ministry, and um, one of the joys that we have is that we seek to also join with those in the medical profession because we know that it, that God works in many ways to bring healing to people. So today it's my uh, joy to present for associate membership uh, those who are have completed the first part of their studies, Andy Birchfield, Judy Rushing, Mary Margaret McCartney, Linda Salmons, and Dr. Don Krause. 
And then we have three who are coming in as full members, Howard Chambers, Sylvia Horningbloom, and Chuck Beatty. And I would just ask those of you who um, are, I have a question? Okay. Um, those of you who are coming in as associate members, uh, will you make the Ministry of Healing a regular part of your vocation? And will you continue to prepare yourselves through discipline and through study to participate fully in the Order of St. Luke? Your answer is we will. It is my joy to welcome you and uh, invite you to be a full part of our ministry. And for those of you who are coming in as full members, I ask you this question. Do you still feel called to make the healing ministry a regular part of your vocation, desiring to become full members in the order of St. Luke, the physician? Your answer is we do. And I invite you to kneel that um, we may pray over you, all of you. And uh, those who have coming in as full members are receiving a medallion that, that uh, recognizes their uh, place as a full member in this order. And they have been anointed with oil. And I would ask David if you would pray a blessing over them. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, I thank you for these, your servants. I thank you that the church is recovering the ministry to be a part of the healing work that you want to do in the world. And now I pray that the hands of these, your servants, will be your hands. That the mouths of these, your servants, will be your words, will be spoken through them. And that the hearts of these servants will be your heart as well for all who are in need. Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit, and may they minister in your love. Your Son's name we ask.